The Deal with Yield is a podcast series covering the issues that matter most in crop production. Tune in to episodes on iTunes, My Farm Radio, and thedealwithyield.com. Welcome back to The Deal with Yield with our host, Joel Whipperford, Winfield United Ag Technology Application Lead. Joining us again on the phone, Ray Pagatti, Winfield United Crop Protection Technical Marketing Specialist. Ray, continuing our conversation on the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, I'm curious to know what makes this new technology so different from the dicamba that has been sprayed in the past? Well, so I think the question is, what is the same, really? So I'm going to talk about both pretty much Ingenia and Extendamax. Both have three different labels. They have the Section 3 label, which is the main label where most of the information on how to apply the the herbicide according to the rules and regulations are. Those Section 3 labels, those labels are going to look very similar to the labels that your dad read when he was applying dicamba or when he does apply older formulations of dicamba. There are two other labels. There is a supplemental label for spraying dicamba-tolerant soybeans, and there's a supplemental label spraying dicamba-tolerant cotton. On those labels are loads and loads of application requirements and restrictions that an applicator needs to follow in order to properly apply these new dicamba formulations. Those two labels only have a two-year limit on them. Basically, the EPA is saying this is a two-year test run, if we can properly manage this technology out in the field and things go well, then most certainly it will be extended to a full registration and not have an expiration date on it, you would hope. But if this isn't stewarded properly, if people don't follow the label, then the EPA has all the right and may very well turn around and say, we can't keep this technology in the marketplace because we can't steward it properly. I was listening to the North Central Weed Science Society, uh, had a University of Missouri professor in, and Missouri obviously had Extend Cotton labeled, but not the herbicide labeled. So, of course, growers went out and planted that. And he was saying last year, you know, Missouri is kind of ground zero for what maybe not to do as far as how growers planted a dicamba-resistant trait for cotton. And then they actually used off-label or illegal applications of dicamba. And some of the sensitivity was really amazing how little dicamba maybe did such a large volume of damage. They were saying that upwards of 45,000 acres officially were damaged, and uh, it was more likely over 100,000 acres of non-target crops damaged in that, including two acres of tomatoes, nine acres of watermelons, which I can't imagine what the per acre cost on that is, as well as 900 acres of peaches. So I I think about, you know, some of his key takeaways. And he said the number one factor in the state of Missouri last year is producers underestimated how little it takes to harm their neighbors. What are some ways that we're going to get through this as far as staying on label and looking at the two-year temporary label? How do we respect this technology? Yeah, so, you know, Joel, the great thing about dicamba is it's a really good herbicide and it does a really good job on broadleaf weeds. But the bad thing about dicamba is it's a really great herbicide and it does damage to broadleaf crops. So that is a big concern out there in fields and in communities and people spraying it. 
and Missouri's an interesting case, and Tennessee's an interesting case, where they, like you said, they did apply dicamba over the top of dicamba-tolerant crops when they weren't supposed to, is the way we're going to manage this is to religiously and with great discipline follow the label requirements as they're written. Labels are the law. They have to be followed. And the way to properly steward this thing is to follow the label. Now, yes, there are a lot of restrictions in that label, and that's because this chemistry to be applied properly and to limit or minimize or eliminate off-target movement, you are going to have to follow these labels. Now, like I said, high degree of difficulty, but that is the environment that we have to live in these days. And people who are going to use Extendamax or use Ingenia have to follow those labels to the T so that they can eliminate these issues of having dicamba move off target. Yeah, well, that's an exciting piece. You know, I, I think uh, so. We're managing through this on uh, dicamba resistant soybeans right now. I know that in the works is dicamba resistant corn. They started out with over 5,000 different events and they've narrowed it down to one. Uh, and about 1% of that has made it uh, from the greenhouse to the field. So we've got another crop in the next couple of years in the trait pipeline that will be dicamba resistant or dicamba tolerant. We use some dicamba on corn today, but certainly when they install that trait directly on corn that helps it be resistant to a dicamba herbicide, we're going to see more and more use of, of this particular herbicide. But certainly herbicide management and weed, weed resistance management will be a key staple of, of this. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, stewardship of this product is going to be very important. So reading the labels and thinking about the way that I've recommended herbicides and micronutrients be sprayed on soybeans in the past in particular, which usually went with a micronutrient, a fungicide, an insecticide, some herbicide, and a splash of water, how do you see that evolving? Yes, that is an excellent question, and I'm glad you brought it up. Each company, Monsanto and BSF, has set up a website that you can go to and look at and when something gets added to the label, meaning it can be tank mixed with Extendamax or tank mixed with Ingenia, it will be posted to the website. So some of the custom application rigs I've seen out there have direct inject systems on there. If it's not in the tank, does that mean it's technically not a tank mix? Yeah. You've been talking to the same people who have been calling me all week. So a direct inject equals a tank mix. So A direct inject is not a way to skirt the label requirements. If you're direct injecting, it's considered a tank mix. So before someone goes and applies Extendamax, they go to the website and they see that this herbicide can be tank mixed with Extendamax. This adjuvant can be tank mixed with Extendamax. This even extends to the nozzle. The TTI nozzle. TTI-11004. Now, moving forward, as new nozzles get added because the testing has been done and, and everything passes the EPA requirements, those nozzles will also get added to the website and then be allowed to be used in an application. One of the things that I noticed comparing the Ingenia label from BSF to the Monsanto Extendamax label is wind speed. One of them says 0 to 10 miles an hour. The other one says 3 to 10 miles an hour. What's that all about? That is an interesting label difference. 
So the one thing you didn't mention there is what the Ingenia label says is it says zero to 10, but anything less than three miles an hour, you have to make sure that there's not a temperature inversion. And maybe we can get into temperature versions next, but what the Extendamax label says is basically they built in that three mile an hour kind of minimum because they wanted to take that question of what is in a temperature inversion and is there a temperature inversion. They wanted to kind of take that out of the whole equation from what I can see, and they just want to keep it 3 to 10 so that people don't have to ask the question and applicators don't have to potentially make the mistake of spraying when there's a temperature inversion. So, Ray, one of the things that's on the label that I think is interesting is there's now a speed limit to applying herbicide out here. Why is there a speed limit on this thing? Yeah. Have you seen the speed limit signs that they're putting out on the field so that people know what the speed limit is when applying dicamba? When I drive up Highway 94, I usually think that that's the speed limit sign, but I've been told that that's not by a few law enforcement officers. (laughs) So it all comes back to off-target movement. And basically, the faster you go, the more potential you have to increase your off-target movement. So one of the Iowa State reports that I was reading earlier this month talked about the invasive species that was kind of coming into their state. And they had documented 48 cases of Palmer in particular in their state, one of which was uh, affiliated with uh, a railroad, bringing that onto the field. Twelve of them were ag-related, where the combines or tillage equipment it kind of got spread around by equipment moving around. Of course, they border Missouri down there and maybe got brought across that way. But of the 48, 35 of them were actually uh, conservation plots that were planted for pollinators. And I think that's one of the pieces here that plays into invasive species and herbicide management is recognizing as we look to take some land out of production that we're looking to have a lower environmental impact on. We also want to make sure that we, as we plant back those crops or plant back the CRP that we get clean seed that doesn't have weed seeds in it. You know, we talked a lot about label requirements, but one thing we never really talked about is once you pull it in the field and you've got your booms unfolded and you're ready to go forward, we don't really talk about a buffer. When you think about the new labels and some of the requirements that are going on there, talk to me about, you know, I've never had to put a buffer in any of my fields before for herbicide with the exception of maybe atrazine. I'm, I'm kind of used to that in a pre-emerge. What does the buffer look like for Extendamax and Ingenia? So there's a 110-foot buffer for both Ingenia at the one rate, which is 12.8 fluid ounces per acre. That's Ingenia's labeled rate. And then Extendamax, they have two different buffers. They have the 110-foot buffer, and that's if you're applying at 22 fluid ounces per acre. And then they have a 220-foot buffer, and that's when you're applying at 44 fluid ounces per acre. So that's the buffer situation, and those are downwind buffers. So whichever way the wind's blowing is where you draw that line for the 110-foot buffer. So there's four different exceptions to that buffer zone, and those exceptions are roads. So if you have a road downwind of you, you can build that road into the buffer. Now, the road might not be 110 feet, but it is some distance that you can factor into your buffer zone. There's planted fields that have crops that are tolerant to dicamba, so corn, some small grains, other dicamba-tolerant cotton and soybeans. So those can be included. So if you're right next to a a cornfield, 
that is tolerant to dicamba, which all of them are, you can go ahead and factor that in and you effectively have no buffer. If you have a field that's prepped for planting, so if it's early in the year and you have a freshly prepped field right next to you, you can add that into the buffer zone. And then last thing is something that's covered by a footprint of a building or a silo or other man-made structure can be factored into the buffer. So those are the four kind of, when you think of buffers, those are the exceptions that you can build in. The one piece is, and I mentioned it before, if there are sensitive crops downwind, you are restricted from applying Extendamax or Ingenia when downwind of you is a susceptible crop. So one of the things we talked about is the extreme sensitivity. And you you go back to the quote of producers in the South underestimated just how little it takes to harm their neighbors with this particular product. How are we going to manage tank cleanouts? It's really no different than that's on a lot of other labels. The key here is triple rinsing. Make sure you drain the sprayer completely. Don't let anything stay in the lines overnight. And then flush the tank, the hoses, the booms, clean the filters out. The procedure shouldn't be any different than people have done in the past. But if people don't do them like they should have done them in the past, you're going to see those mistakes or that lack of thorough cleaning a lot more now than you ever have using different herbicides because broadleaf crops are very sensitive to dicamba. So if you have a little bit hanging up in a filter or an end cap that you didn't flush out, that is going to be apparent when you spray your next herbicide application, not on dicamba-tolerant crops. Yeah, I think that'll be interesting how retailers play that out, whether or not they take on dedicated machines that are dicamba-specific, or you know, in some cases, if they'll choose to take on custom application work that has it or exactly how we're going to manage through that. I mean, we've cleaned out of dicamba spray tanks before, but like you said, just a little bit goes a long ways on this particular chemistry. I noticed as I was calling you to read the label for me, because apparently I can't read labels, you have to actually look at the label from the website seven days prior to application. Is that right? Seven days prior to application, I've got to call you up and read the label to me? No. I want to make this clear. You're the only person that has the privilege of calling me up seven days before you go out and apply Extendamax or Ingenia, and I will tell you and read to you what's on the label. For everybody else out there, yeah, basically seven days before they go apply, they go look at the website to see what's labeled and what's not. You can look one day before, and if it's up on the website, that's a legal application, but the minimum standard is seven days. So that's to say, you know, if something gets dropped from the label and you didn't look seven days before application and it got dropped, you know, you looked 30 days before you went to apply and then between 30 and seven days before your application, if something got changed on the label and you didn't look, then that could be considered an off-label application. But, I mean, you can check one day, too. It's just the minimum standard is seven days. So I look forward to your call seven days before so I can read you what's on the website. I've seen this on uh, Dateline 2020 where they track the person's Internet search terms during the murder trials. Are they going to come and track my Internet search terms on uh, whether or not I looked up the label seven days prior? I think you're asking the wrong guy. You can call the Minnesota Department of Ag here in Minnesota, and and they could give you that interpretation. But I am not clear on how they're going to handle that situation, Joel. 
And it's going to be a very interesting situation to see how this whole dicamba tower and acre is managed this year. I think it can be done, but there's just a lot of things that people have to do right to make sure that they have a proper riverside application and that there's no off-target movement and that there's nothing that gets sprayed on the wrong field. Well, Ray, I appreciate you coming on to the deal with Yeld and talking about how we shepherd this through in our two-year temporary registrations so that we can continue to have access to these kind of technologies. Certainly, uh, your insights are valuable. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks, Joel. I appreciate it. I love the show. I just wish Kyle would interview me. <laughs> You've been listening to The Deal with Yield with Joel Whipperford, Winfield United Ag Technology Applications Lead, and Ray Pagatti, Winfield United Crop Protection Technical Marketing Specialist. For additional episodes of The Deal with Yield, visit iTunes, My Farm Radio, and thedealwithyield.com. 